Welcome to another episode of This Is My Generation, a podcast full of information for parents in the early years of homeschooling who are seeking clarity and encouragement to get through the uncertainty of homeschooling and build a thriving education for their family. I'm Dr. Melanie Bisson, the founder and owner of Generation, a company transforming education for the six plus million parents now paving their own educational path for their kids, the next generation. We do this through our group coaching program, Harvest, where parents sow seeds of clarity in their vision and goals, reap the fruits that come from being aligned in your approach and programs, stay rooted in empowerment and thrive together in community. You can follow us on Instagram at underscore This Is My Generation. All right, welcome to episode eight. As I'm recording this, I don't even have a title for this yet, and I'm not entirely sure if I'm going to separate it into two episodes based on the timing, so or how long it takes me, I guess, rather to to get through it. Um, because I think, like, as I really start outlining, I don't like script my my podcast, but I do like put outline notes and stuff, so I don't go on too many squirrely tangents. Um, but I'm definitely seeing this as much more of like an umbrella overview of incorporating technology and digital learning into our homeschooling. Um, and there's so many areas that like I want to do deeper dives into, but I think for now with so many of us like getting started and embracing these early years, I I think it's good, especially for the podcast to do an overview now, and then we'll just keep diving in. So um, stay with me if it's a little longer than my usual ones. But this is sort of like that game changer topic in the world of education, right? Like integrating technology into our homeschooling journey. And like, do we do it? Do we not do it? Like, that's it's sort of like, that's the question. Um, you know, and you might be wondering, like, how to strike that perfect balance between screen time and valuable learning experiences or you know, perhaps you're just eager to harness the all this power that you hear about in educational apps and online resources and digital tools to make your homeschooling adventure even more engaging. You know, is an online curriculum as effective as hands-on? Are there age limits? Like all these types of questions. So I hope to cover most of the questions that you might have around technology and digital learning and kind of get you thinking about where you want to take the next right step. Because if you've been following along with me, that's one of like the things that I'm most passionate about is not taking all this information and going, oh, crap, I need to be doing X, Y, Z and immediately stress about it and go burden yourself with like fixing all of these areas as if it's something that like needs fixing, because by and large, it's not. The intent is to always have a couple little nuggets that you can take and go and add something, enhance something, improve something like whatever it is you take from this, take one little thing and go and do the next best thing for you and your children. So the first area I wanted to like take a deep dive into is this world of educational apps and online resources. Like it's this, you know, quote unquote treasure chest of knowledge waiting to be unlocked. You've been told, but like how, because there's so much darn information. And if you've been in like any singular homeschooling group, it's like everybody and their mother making recommendations about different tools and resources and apps and you should try this and you should do that. And like, where do you even start? Because just 10 years ago, homeschooling families had very limited options when it came to curriculum and resources like online and fast forward to today. And that landscape has like dramatically transformed. And with the rise of online education, like we're now just faced with an access to just an incredible array of 
very high quality educational apps and platforms that cater to a wide array of subjects and learning styles. But just like anything else, there's also the not so great ones. And how do you discern like who's got what credibility and, you know, if it's individual or subject matter or self-paced to fully online curriculums or a complete virtual teaching thing, like how do we pick what and what are, what are we doing? And, you know, I mean, I think it's pretty neat to think that like you can explore science through some interactive simulation or, you know, examine and unravel history through different like digital exhibits and stuff. And, you know, I think learning math is awesome with like engaging games and all that type of stuff, but you know, it's still just a lot. And we've got really great prestigious universities and people that are lending their time. And there's platforms like Khan Academy and Coursera and edX and stuff that are taught by experts and there's an overflow of options like right at your fingertips. So it's not just about textbooks and workbooks anymore, but the options have also expanded so far that it's hard to determine what we should be utilizing. Right. And just as a piece of like statistics, according to like the most recent data, the online curriculum and program market for homeschoolers has grown by like a staggering 300% over the last 10 years. And that growth, I think, really reflects just the increasing demand that homeschool families have for flexible, tailored, and innovative solutions that cater to our individual needs and preferences. Like, we're not homeschooling for the same reasons that parents were choosing 30 years ago. I mean, that was my entire dissertation work. But that's why our needs and how we lesson plan and consume media have shifted. Like, I think with that growth comes this new challenge and this burden of decision-making because with so many options available, families are just overwhelmed by the choices. There's paid advertisements that lead you to believe a particular app is the greatest fit and the most representative of your family. And just simply navigating that sea of apps and platforms is, is a daunting task. Not to mention there's financial and time commitments associated with selecting just the right resources and it's significant and it's a lot. And I think families need to consider not only the cost of these programs, but the time required to explore, to implement them, to assess whether or not it's even suitable for their child's education. And that's based on like not just one or two factors, but foreseeably dozens, right? And this decision-making process, I think, is what leads to what someone like me affectionately calls analysis paralysis. It's just that moment when you're so inundated with choices that simply making a decision becomes challenging and you just might walk away from it altogether. But I, I definitely think there's good news. I mean, that's, that's why I'm doing this and I want to help families because while the abundance of options might seem overwhelming, it's also offering the freedom to curate an educational experience that actually aligns with your values, your child's learning preference, and your family's unique needs. And you know by now that I'm a big fan of that. Like, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is that as you navigate all this digital stuff is just to take it one step at a time, you know, research, read reviews, and if possible, try out demos and stuff before committing. And just know that you're not alone. Like, there are so many homeschooling communities where fellow parents share their experiences and recommendations, which makes the journey obviously a little less daunting and more supportive, but if you're like me, those groups can also sometimes add more stress than they actually help. So some of my best advice in those situations is to ask questions about why people like the programs they do and what their educational philosophy or their homeschool approach is like, because those things matter when you're taking into consideration whether or not a recommendation, a tool, whatever would be a good fit for your family. Like we're not 
just going for crowd favorite, right? So, you know, I think in a nutshell, like the growth of this online curriculum and program space for homeschoolers has really revolutionized the way that we approach education. It offers flexibility, diversity, just this world of opportunities that were previously unimaginable for anybody homeschooling, especially anybody homeschooling who is also holding down a job and has the young kids at home and is just trying to sort of do all of the things still. Um, and I know so many of you resonate with that, but, you know, as with anything else involving technology, these opportunities also come with decisions that require very careful consideration. So as you explore this digital realm, keep your family's goals and values at the forefront. Take the steps to ensure that you're equipped to navigate all of this with confidence and care. And I think one of the ways to do this and immerse your learner in all these technological aspects of homeschooling is how we apply critical thinking, right? So you've got, you've maybe narrowed down all these, these apps and online resources, and we get into kind of how, how to do that a little bit more in later episodes and maybe on a blog post and stuff, but, and certainly in the harvest program, that's kind of what that's all about is taking all this stuff and getting it into bite-sized actionable pieces. But, you know, it's, it's applying critical thinking. And technology is not just this one-way street of absorbing information. We're not just sitting there at a screen, just taking it all in. It's it's a two-way street. And we've got to be able to flex those mental muscles and navigate this just vast sea of digital information with a, a pretty serious level of discernment. And I think, in my opinion, this digital age is really about teaching our kids how to think critically and apply discernment in what they're reading, viewing, opening, like whatever it is. It's all of that is such an important tool, just this critical thinking, discernment, but like how's, what's the game plan for how to actually develop those skills? And I sort of think of it in four parts. There's fact checking, evaluating information and sources, what your perspective is, and then how to actually conduct research and, and get skills in those areas. So obviously we know the internet is just a playground of information, but it's not all gold. And any of you who've discovered some of like the nasty depths of YouTube kids knows this. And so when it comes to online learning and academics, teaching your kids how to fact check for themselves and not rely on possibly biased sources is critical, right? Knowing how to cross-reference facts, double-check claims, uh, question the credibility of sources is, is giving them like this you know, superhero cape of truth or something. I mean, it's it's kind of a silly analogy, but I truly believe it's a gift because we encourage them to explore multiple sources before considering something as truth. And when we guide them in spotting those red flags, it's it's just really an awesome gift. Like, I, I don't know how else to explain it other than it's something that will follow them in life in so many areas. Like when you know how to recognize sensational language or like a lack of credible citations and recognize like there's nothing new under the sun, like what somebody might be toting around now and saying is uber important, like could have been done and likely was done in history, you know, 20, 30, a hundred years ago, that's a pretty awesome superpower. And so that's like the critical thinking piece. And then there's the skill of evaluation. And that's just like being a detective. Like instead of solving crimes, we're uncovering the reliability of information in general. So teach your kids how to ask questions like, who is the author? 
Are they an expert in their field? Like encourage them to investigate the publication or the website. Does it have a reputable history? And then decode the URL. Like the domain itself can tell you a lot. Is it .edu, .gov? Those websites often indicate reliable sources while, you know, a .com or a .org might require a little bit more scrutiny. And then there's perspective. And, you know, simply like in a world just buzzing with opinions, teaching your kids how to distinguish between fact and opinion is just like handing them a compass for truth seeking, right? I mean, engaging them in conversations about bias, point of view, and the importance of understanding different sides of a story now more than ever is, I just think, life-giving. Because I don't, I don't think we're doing that enough. Um, there's so many really good intentions. But when we're handing our young minds screens and information on a screen without teaching them those skills, it just, the information is so much more readily available and it comes at them so much faster than it ever did for us when all that we had as an opportunity to learn something outside of what our parents was telling us was if we picked up a newspaper or like an encyclopedia or something in that. I mean, I don't know about you, but that wasn't happening too often for me in my home unless I was like pulling out the Sunday comics or something. So um, that's perspective. And then I don't want to forget about online research skills. And this is just teaching your kids the art of effective like keyword searching and navigating search results, how to skim through articles for relevance. Like I'm quick to rely on the first few pages of Google too. Like don't, don't get me wrong, but I also teach a university marketing course. And so I know the sponsorships and SEO, which is search engine optimization, like all of the stuff that goes into getting those results on the first few pages. And one of the greatest things that we can teach our kids about interacting within the digital information realm is research skills. I mean, there's so much more to it that I can get into on this episode, but just start with like showing them how to bookmark reliable sources for future reference how to organize their findings because being organized in the digital space is just as important as in the physical world. And I'll say like, if you need help in this area too, check out our blog. I'm going to be putting out a bunch of stuff on this because I know it's just as hard for us to not have a desktop with just a bunch of icons and keep our stuff clear and organized online in our computers. But I think like that cherry on top is just this notion that fostering critical thinking and online research skills. Like you're not just arming your kids with tools for the digital world, but you're truly like nurturing their ability to actually analyze and question and form their own conclusions in every facet of life. It's like giving them just a a actual compass for navigating a world that's got now certainly information, misinformation, and just infinite possibilities. And I think it's just I mean, I'm a broken record there, but that's really like the gift that we get to do as part of homeschooling. All right. And so with all of that is like the personalizational part of this. And because we've got all these online tools, all this digital curriculum and research aspects and stuff, but like, how do we tailor technology to our child's unique learning preferences and needs? And this is the place where like innovation really meets individuality, right? In a world where every learner is as unique as a fingerprint, technology steps up as that ally that can really cater to their specific preferences. Like if you imagine your child's learning preferences as their very own map, 
you know, guiding them through all the information they face and all the knowledge they're going to gain, then technology can be that toolkit that makes traveling those roads not only smooth, but actually enjoyable. I mean, I don't know about you. I did once have to drive from Salt Lake City, Utah, back to Florida because uh, Josiah was like one year old and gave me a double ear infection. But like most people don't just like road trip for just the joy of it, right? I mean, maybe as I'm saying that they do, but like the idea is that we can align our children's tendencies and learning preferences with digital tools and it actually gets to be fun. It's not just like a thing that they have to do to get by on their journey. And so for the sake of time and just this overview, I want to hone in on like the top three quote unquote styles or tendencies, learning preferences, as you'll hear Dr. Katie and I say all the time. So we've got our visual learners. Those are the kids that thrive when they can see and visualize concepts. So for them, it's interactive diagrams, infographics, just visual rich apps are going to be gold, right? And when you can transform like abstract ideas into really vibrant visuals and capture their attention, it's just awesome to see. And we want to keep in mind that this is not just individual to the learner, but to the subject material too. So Josiah will freeze up and fight me on doing anything reading without very tangible or visually interactive elements. Like it just releases this pressure he puts on himself. But math, like he legit rolled his eyes at me this week about like the coloring of towers for least and greatest. And like, he just wants the mental math stuff without all the fluff. So it's not just the child's learning preference in general, but it also is their preference and tendency with different subjects and different materials. And then there's those with the auditory preference. So that's kiddos who absorb, and, and people, but who absorb information best through their ears. So podcasts, audiobooks, interactive voice-based platforms are going to become their digital playground. And these tech-savvy tools are really going to let them learn on the go. So whether they're absorbing history lessons during a walk or just exploring kind of like science concepts while crafting, it's a good digital avenue for them. And then there's the kinesthetic learner, those lovely dynamic souls who learn best through hands-on experiences. And for them, that's where technology takes the form of interactive simulations, virtual labs, like these touch-based apps. And these digital tools provide them with, I mean, truly just like a sandbox where they can explore, experiment, and learn by doing. And as I said, with my own experience and how it can differentiate between subjects, we know many learners are a blend of these styles, right? And so the great thing about technology is that it's really just a chameleon that's going to adapt to their own unique combination. Like flexibility is best. So mix and match interactive apps with engaging videos. You can pair, you know, an audio-based lesson with a hands-on digital experiment. The beauty truly lies in all the just infinite possibilities that technology offers to create this tailored learning experience, but Start small. Because remember, we're all about taking the next right step in an orderly way so that we can avoid any overwhelm. So find a few apps and platforms that mirror their unique style or preference and dive into just those first so you can observe and know that the goal isn't just to consume content, but to actually ignite their curiosity and make learning an adventure that's uniquely theirs, right? 
Okay. So then it's always like, all right, but Dr. Malik, what happens when we find too many great ones? And now my kids are on devices all the time. <laughs> like, isn't that bad for them? So it's obviously the question we've undoubtedly asked ourselves before in almost every season of parenting, let alone homeschooling. So let's tackle this because I think it's like finding the rhythm and a dance between, you know, digital exploration and just good old fashioned offline adventures, because it's easy to get lost in the wonders of both. But just like any adventure, it's important to have a roadmap. And that roadmap is none other than just setting clear, realistic limits on screen time. And for me, it's about how to do it without triggering that infamous, like, but I want to play more or like whatever chorus of begging you have, you know, to, to, to bring it back. Right. So, um, let's talk strategy here. It's not about restricting screen time, but rather about managing it effectively. And I recommend to start by just setting specific time blocks for tech engagement in general. So whether that's educational apps, virtual field trips, like research sessions, just communicate these blocks with your kids so that everyone is on the same page. This creates just, I think, a sense of predictability and structure. And when you can provide notice ahead of time, it's almost always beneficial and in your favor. So, you know, starting next week, we'll be doing blank. And for us, it was letting Josiah know that when we began our nap time homeschooling routine, that TV would only be allowed for the morning breakfast hour and after his two-year-old brother went to bed. Like he can have his iPad during choir rehearsal at the church with dad, which is where they're at now. And he can have it, you know, after his schoolwork before his brother wakes up if he chooses. Um, but we don't currently use it in any formal way in our curriculum right now. Just not for any reason about technology, but just, it just hasn't been the right fit. But the conversation would be approached similarly. And then there's variety because just like a balanced food diet, you've got to have a balanced screen time diet. And, you know, alongside the educational apps, it's obviously important to weave in physical activities, creative projects, and just good old fashioned face-to-face -face interactions, because it's about nurturing well-rounded individuals who can navigate both the digital and the physical world. And, you know, so I, I say the golden rule is to lead by example. Because we know our kids are like sponges. They're, they're soaking up behaviors from their surroundings. And if they see you finding joy in offline activities, then they're more likely to mirror those habits. So show them that screen time is just one slice of the adventure pie. Uh, you know, there, there's this whole buffet of exploration waiting behind the screens. And, and now, look, I'm not in a season of life where, you know, I can plan these extravagant, awesome craft activities or outdoor scavenger hunts. Like, I'm just like you. I see this stuff and I, you know, might play the guilt game a little bit, you know, but I just, I make it an effort to not grab my phone in a moment of downtime and instead have him see me picking up around the house or just sitting down with a journal to take notes. Because for me, it's, he's at the age, you know, he's five. So it's simply that like, he can't separate the fact that like, yes, I might be doing work on my phone. Like he just sees me in it. So I'm just trying to show him other things and even if that's just farting around our backyard for an hour without any specific plans, like that's the best that I can do right now in this season. Um, and even that is hard sometimes. Like I get it. Like this is not about shame. This is always about best practice. And again, you taking a couple good nuggets and trying to do the next best thing for your family, you know, but like anything else, I believe the most 
critical ingredients, you can tell I'm trying to go quickly, um, is communication, right? So engage your kids in conversations about screen time and why it's important to have limits and how it affects their focus, their well-being, their attitudes. Like, talk to them about the addictive tendencies and how our bodies respond with too much blue light. Um, what activities they can do offline. This is not like you need to do an hour research and, and tell them, you know, the actual like peer reviewed research on what blue light from screens does to our body. Just anecdotally tell them a story about when you feel like garbage because you've been in your phone all day and how it gives you a headache and what that headache does the next day and combine that with, you know, maybe the fact that you had a little bit of junk to eat and, you know, yeah, a day of happy meal and screen times isn't going to make you feel good when it's every single day. And so like what activities would they like to explore offline? It's just involving them in the decision-making process and empowering them to make mindful choices is a good balanced recipe when you're involving things in digital learning. And then when you open up this line of communication, you can also discuss the importance of online safety because ensuring your little learners safety and well-being online is just absolutely paramount. I teach about this at our church often and, you know, just the things that, because we have a lot of like grandparents and uh, older women who are taking care of some of our youth and they just don't always know what's behind the screen and what's behind some of these, you know, YouTube developers and just, you know, what's in some of this stuff. And just as we teach our kids to be, you know, courteous and respectful in the physical world, it's equally important to instill in them principles of digital etiquette and just what we do with our devices and our time online. And so you'll see a blog post soon because I I, want to dive into like the top 10 list for digital etiquette. But in a nutshell, it's about concepts like, you know, thinking before you click, just encouraging kids to pause and reflect before posting or sharing anything online. Remembering that things like on the internet live forever and what we say now can not only follow us negatively, but leave the door open for it to be returned to us in retaliation. We chat about the power of kindness in virtual interactions and the importance of treating others' digital spaces with the same respect we we would expect for our own spaces. And when we leave this positive footprint wherever we go, it makes continuing to engage in the virtual world later, I think much less burdensome because you don't have this fear that like something's going to make its way back. Um, But really the biggest thing for me is privacy. So the digital equivalent of, you know, guarding the castle walls, right. Is teaching our kids about the importance of safeguarding our personal information. Like that's the shield against any potential risk. And so it's guiding them to be, sorry, I think I just completely brushed my, my mic with my hand. Um, guiding them to be cautious about sharing sensitive details, you know, addresses, phone numbers, school names, empowering them to create strong, unique passwords and to recognize the difference between, you know, safe and unsafe websites. We talked about like the URLs, like the same discernment tactics that we discussed in online research with regard to academic information should also apply here because whether it's a chat room in a virtual classroom or in a video game, like we've still got to keep our wits about us. It's not just about protecting ourselves or them. It's about being just discerning explorers when we're in a digital space. So 
teach your kids the art of evaluating the websites and apps for the credibility. You know, are there typos? Does the site ask for unnecessary personal information? Like those are always red flags that they can learn to spot as they venture through any digital landscape. And when you engage your kids in conversations about those online risks and potential dangers and just the importance of speaking up if something doesn't feel right, then you can be at ease about any concerns because you're creating an environment where they feel comfortable coming to you with what they've seen, what they've heard, or what they might have said online. And giving them these little tools helps show our kids that they have the power to control their online experiences. Like explore the privacy settings together, whether it's on a social media platform, an app, or a device, teach them how to report inappropriate content or behavior and just foster that sense of agency and responsibility. And again, as you navigate all of this, remember that digital landscape safety and and all of that is a skill that will serve your kids well, well, well beyond homeschooling because it's about instilling values of responsibility, respect, and mindfulness. And that's going to guide them as they just explore the internet because as they get older, it's obviously not going anywhere, right? So as they get older and they continue to get deeper involved, it's it's only going to benefit them and they'll be able to teach it to others too. So I did want to shift gears. Um, this might be where I, I, I separate it um, because I, I want to make sure that like most of this episode, we focus on the tools that your learner will use, but I don't want to forget about you, the parent, because there's this whole world of digital lesson planning and organization. And it's that realm where like technology becomes really your homeschooling ally and your assistant in staying on top of everything. So I'll go through this stuff quick and then I'll, I'll do a deeper dive um, perhaps on a, just on another episode soon um, or on the blog too. But, you know, not long ago, like we were obviously doing lesson planning just with stacks of paper and highlighters and binders filled with schedules and materials. You know, if you've ever been to a, uh, I don't know, like, how do I say it? Like a homeschool yard sale, <laughs> like you see just the stacks and stacks of stuff. And like, I still enjoy my fair share of paper driven planners and stuff, but those days have really evolved for so many parents and technology has gifted us with this toolbox of digital helpers. And it just makes the process smoother and easier. So, you know, just imagine having like this virtual command center where you can map out your entire homeschooling journey at just the click of a button. There's online planners like Homeschool Planet, Planboard, Google Calendar, like they all offer dynamic scheduling and customization options that put you in control. And if an opportunity comes up and you've got to like shift your schedule, then all you have to do is just drag, drop and adjust your plans with ease. And it's pretty awesome. Like I, I fought the Google thing for a really long time with planning because I've, I've had the same paper planner for, uh, this is actually year four. Um, it's just like a mead. I don't even, I won't even look it up just for time. Um, but it got me through, you know, just all of the aspects. It was always my academic work, my work work, my travel, my home stuff. It was great. And so I, I really, really resisted it, but this whole drag and drop and, and like doing little tweaks throughout the week has been awesome. And it's not just about the schedule. Like there's digital tools that allow you to keep all of your curriculum and resources and assignments neatly organized in one place. Like you're not riffling through stacks of books to find one worksheet. And, you know, with just a couple taps, like you can access everything you need, which is obviously not only going to save you time, but probably preserve your sanity too. Um, and there's tech tools that will also help with collaboration. And so if you've got multiple kids with different learning needs and different 
ages and subject areas, like you can juggle their individual plans relatively effortlessly by just assigning tasks and setting deadlines and just keeping track of their progress all in one interface. Um, but like everything else, you know, where there's a pro, there's going to be a con to consider. And I think the array of digital tools can obviously be overwhelming and choosing the right one is a puzzle in and of itself. Like I've had to trial and error a few because I am very prone to committing to something because it looks appealing and it has some great testimonials rather than practicing what I preach and taking the time to explore whether or not the tool is really a good fit for my needs right now. It's essential to consider factors like, you know, user friendliness, compatibility with your devices, uh, specific features that align with your homeschooling approach. So set aside time to explore different platforms, read user reviews, and perhaps, you know, test out the free trials to see which tool resonates with you. Because while these tools offer convenience, they also require a learning curve and investing time up front to familiarize yourself with the platform will pay off in the long run, you know, as you navigate through just the lesson plans and assignments and updates. And just as a little plug and a side note, the doors for our harvest program officially open on September 25th, but we have, you know, early bird discounts and specials right now. And part of that is this 30 page AI guide that I created. So it's your guide to using AI in homeschooling or artificial intelligence. So, you know, if you've heard about chat GPT and all these different tools that use AI to guide and write websites and, and, you know, you're hearing about college kids writing papers and all these kinds of stuff, it can be a significant tool in homeschooling and really be your little teaching assistant. And so I created this 30 page guide and it's got a huge appendix with like 10 to 12 tools and resources like called out by name and like a ton of different subject areas. Um, so I'm not releasing it yet outside of the early bird, but I, I definitely will. Cause I know it's going to be beneficial. Um, but like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Um, and obviously like there's financial and time commitment considerations for this too, you know, just like the digital curriculum, because some digital planning tools come with subscription fees and, you know, it's just obviously essential to weigh the cost against the benefit just in terms of efficiency and organization for you and your family. So, you know, remember that while technology streamlines the process, it's it's still good to have a mix of analog. You know, sometimes a printed calendar or a physical checklist can be just as effective. So in a nutshell, I like to think of digital lesson planning and organizational tools just as our little, you know, modern day homeschool sidekicks, because they can streamline the planning process, they can keep us organized, they can offer storage for all of just the stuff. Um, and even if you're not like the tech savviest person, there's tools that are very straightforward to understand, they're free, they're simple to adapt to your lifestyle. So it doesn't have to be this massive undertaking. Um, but I think there you have it, like it's, that was kind of a whirlwind journey through integrating technology into your homeschooling world. But I hope this episode has just shed some light on the endless possibilities that technology can bring to your educational toolkit and all the things that we need to consider as exciting as it is just when it comes to navigating that landscape safely and, you know, keeping some of those etiquette rules uh, just top of mind. And so, you know, it's a run through at a higher level it's about finding what works best for your family's values and needs. So 
go forth, explore, you know, make technology your ally and assistant in homeschooling. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Until next time. If this is resonating with you and you want to be free of the uncertainty and overwhelm, then hop on over to thisismygeneration.com, join the waitlist for our Harvest program, or check out our early bird special. Doors open September 25th, and myself and Dr. Katie Scott are very excited to help parents get out of their head and get in sync with their homeschool vision and plans. Our four-step process of sowing seeds of clarity, reaping the fruits of alignment, staying rooted in empowerment, and thriving in community include all the concrete ways to overcome the common mindset challenges homeschool parents face and move you into a growth mindset that will trade the uncertainty and overwhelm for calm confidence. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast and follow us on Instagram at underscore this is my generation.